everybody, welcome back to the next episode of the Next Move podcast. And as you guys can see, this is the first time we're on video. So to commemorate this very special episode, I have Arman Sood with me, who is the co-founder of Sleepy Owl Coffee. And they are a coffee disruptor in India. Actually, that's not even fair to say. They are a beverage disruptor in India. And what they're doing is they're a key driving force in moving India towards, especially India's millennials, towards a coffee drinking country as opposed to a tea drinking country. And one of the things I really want to go into in this podcast, and I think all of you will find really exciting, is how they have built a community of customers that really resonate with their brand. And that is something that's really interesting. You know, if you check out their social media, they're doing a really good job of interacting with their customers and having their customers a part of the mission. So I really want to dive deep into that. But for that, I'll bring in Arman. How are you doing? Doing good, Arman, as well. My namesake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I actually haven't met too many people with the name Arman before. Yeah, um, I know when you shot in your email to me, I was like, well, this is interesting. <laughs> I get to get and I was like, let me let me be quick to respond and engage you, and and see what this is all about. <laughs> so I'm glad that was the differentiator. Um, <laughs> so I, let's get let's get into it. Uh, let, let's start off with, you know, what's your background and what led you to and and the three of you to starting Sleepy Owl Coffee. So I I you know I take it all the way back. I grew up in Calcutta. I did my schooling there. Uh, you know, I guess like. Uh, Typical Indian parents. My, uh, my, 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 I mean, my parents pushed me towards, uh, you know, studying science. Uh, they, they were hoping that their son would become an engineer uh, or even a doctor. You know, so that's what, that's when they like encouraged me to even take um, biology in the 11th and 12th grade, with the hopes that I would keep all my options open. You know, uh, not the best strategy because I, you know, totally burdened myself in the 11th and 12th grade trying to uh, acquire and accumulate knowledge from all the subjects. Uh, never really becoming super proficient at any one of them. <clears throat> and, um, you know, towards the fag end of my 12th grade, when it came to figuring out what I want to do next, uh, from a career perspective, they, um, you know, I, I sat down with them and I'm like, guys, like, <clears throat> you know, this is not interesting to me. Like, you know, I might have been, might have studied it. I might have got the required grades or marks that are relevant, but it's not my core interest area. And then my dad sat me down and he's like, son, what is? You know, what is it that you really want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I don't think my parents are very supportive at that point of me skipping one year altogether, which a lot of students do. I think a gap year is an amazing, you know, idea because it allows you to explore yourself and gives you time to think about what you really want to do. But a gap year for me wasn't, uh, you know, uh, in place. So I, I just realized I like speaking. I like talking. I like arguing. And my dad was like, why don't you look at or consider law as a profession? And I was super excited for that. And, um, you know, I, I quickly prepared and like spent 18 hours a day studying and cracked some of the entrance examinations. And, uh, you know, uh, finally, I chose to go to Jindal Global Law School, which was a new institution. Uh, we were, the, you know, my, my batch was the second batch in the university to get in. And <clears throat> it was super exciting. We went to a place for me, it was like the land of opportunity. Uh, it was a new institution. So there wasn't uh, you know, enough infrastructure and everything wasn't built. So we as students had to take charge in creating that ecosystem for ourselves. So be it your sports teams, be it your debate society, be it your mood society, uh, all of these, you know, societies, groups, etc., had to be formed by the initial students. So it allowed us to take a lot of initiative. And it was during this uh, initial phase where I met my co-founder, Ashwajit, 
you know, so we were, <clears throat> we lived in the same apartment in law school and he had in fact taken a gap year. He actually went to Singapore to study and this is not something most people know about, but he studied business for a year in Singapore. Um, you know, before for personal reasons, he came back to India and joined law school. But somewhere in his heart, uh, you know, I think he desired to still want to pursue business. And I think that's where the conversations between us started, where, um, you know, he was like, okay, there, there's a world beyond law, you know, we're studying it and we have five years in law school, but there's a lot more that we can do with our time here. And, uh, you know, think of interesting ideas that we can execute at a small scale, right? We never spoke about dropping out of law school or like, you know, uh, figuring out, uh, what the next big business was, but it was like, okay, we can do small little entrepreneurial gigs uh, while we're studying. And I think that's how, you know, it started for the two of us. My third co-founder, Ajay, uh, <clears throat> him and Ashwajit were childhood friends. They, they went to the same boarding school and uh, they were childhood buddies. And Ajay at this point in time was in uh, USC in uh, Southern California. And then he worked at JP Morgan in New York. So he was always there in the background to me as Ashwajit's best friend. And, uh, you know, I, I <clears throat> and actually you could always tell him that, okay, I have a new friend in law school. And so we, we both knew off each other from Ashwajit, who is like, you know, the, the connecting the dots between the two of us, but we hadn't ever really met each other until we started Sleepy Owl. Wow, that, that's a very cool story. Uh, and I, I think, again, that story resonates with all of us, especially millennials. Going into college, we have no clue what we want to do, you know, like, the especially in, you know, before this, a lot of people had set paths, like you were saying. Uh, but now we kind of have the flexibility to go anywhere, which is cool, but it also creates that challenge. And when you're getting to that point, you're like, okay, you know, I want to do this. I want to join that company. I want to start this business. I want to start this initiative. There's always a little, you know, sticky point, you know, oh man, should I do it? What if I fail? What if I embarrass myself? What if I'm not good enough? You know, that's a sticky point we all face in every area of our life. So, you know, the three of you, how did you guys get over that to actually start something? You know, so um, I think it, you know, in many ways, it's, uh, you have to, you have to be able to take small steps and, uh, you know, with small steps, there'll be small victories. So like one might assume that, you know, uh, Sleepy Owl was the first thing that we ever did and it's doing well, right? But that's not the case. Um, you know, I think, uh, right, right. Like I said, our, our university didn't, uh, you know, have the necessary infrastructure or systems in place. But like Ashwajit and I initially took some initiatives to create things that we could in the environment we were in, right? So one of our first ventures was actually creating college uh, merchandise, university merchandise for the students. And, uh, you know, we took permission to, uh, you know, source the uh, hoodies and t-shirts, uh, which were university branded, and we sold it to the students, right? So I keep talking about this because it was uh, the venture at its, at its smallest scale. Right, where we had to design the t-shirts, go to vendors, uh, procure the material, and then take orders from students and then you know, collect money, sell it to them, manage returns, defects, deliveries in our own little community. Right? Um, we also figured out at what, what price we should price our t-shirts so that they sell uh, and more and more students decide to buy it, as well as you know, <clears throat> make sure that you know, in this entire operation, we don't lose money and we come out of it you know, with a little bit of investment. And we did that for three years. Uh, you know, and each year we did that, we tried to learn from the mistakes that we made in the year before that, right? Um, so it was super interesting to do that. I think we learned, you know, how, uh, how uh, a business works uh, in a sense, right? Uh, in fact, like I'm wearing a Sleepy Owl t-shirt today, right? Like, so even, even like sourcing this, 
you know, bringing it to life. Uh, you know, those learnings, those learnings happened very early on. We were 19, 20 uh, when we started our first round of t-shirt manufacturing. And over the over those three years, it was a, it was almost a free learning experience, right? Um, and uh, you know, by the time we you know did Sleepy Owl, we already had those little jumps we had taken, right? Uh, so we learned that like you know there is there is no harm in trying. There is no harm in making a leap if you believe in something. Uh, I think by uh, by now you know we're at that stage where starting something and failing is not embarrassing anymore. Uh, right, people encourage you to start. Like maybe 2006, seven in the days of Flipkart. Uh, you know, that's the book I'm reading right now. Like the big, uh, the big billion startup. And in that book, you know, they talk about when Flipkart was starting. Like, you know, parents were against it. Uh, investors were not supportive. Uh, people were wondering why, you know, these guys who can have high-paying jobs at other technology firms are starting selling books online, right? And there was a big question mark as to what if you fail? Why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? But I think now sitting into 2020, that perception has changed completely, right? And uh, people are encouraged to, to start. So I think that hurdle has been solved. But personally, when it comes to an individual who has an idea and they're worried about taking the plunge, I think, uh, you know, that is something you have, uh, you have to develop over time, right? Uh, you have to be, you know, a strong believer in what you're doing. You have to validate it with friends and family. And you have to have the conviction. Right. Without that, like it will be a silly jump. But uh, once you do these basic things, like the only way is to get your hands and feet dirty. Uh, you can't be half in and half out. Cool. Yeah. And so the two things I, you know, I'm taking away from what you just said were little steps to you know, actually get going. And actually, you just have to do, you know, you just got to get out there, do something small, however small it is. And I think that's a you know, very cool thing for everybody to think about. And now, uh, so you started this t-shirt company and now maybe you guys are transitioning and you're thinking of new ideas. So where did this new idea for a new age coffee, quality coffee company come from? So, so this came much later, like when we finished law school, uh, you know, both Ashwajit and I decided that we don't want to take up uh, jobs in the legal field. Uh, you know, we decided that uh, we should venture out and do something else. And uh, I, I took up a job at an education technology company in Mumbai, where I was handling uh, marketing and public relations for the company, something I'd never done before as a lawyer, but because I did it, uh, you know, in, in the previous ventures, uh, I felt like that was a role that I'd be suited for and something I'd want to learn. Ashwajit was the brand head at a fashion startup that was selling uh, selvage denim jeans in Delhi, right? So we both took up, you know, jobs at smaller startups and started learning about, uh, you know, uh, how, how these startups function, uh, you know, and that this was like a real world startup, like we were employees in startups. And, um, you know, we started getting uh, a hang of what's going on. And around this time, Ajay was planning to come back from uh, New York and move to India to want to start something as well. And, um, you know, him and Ashwajit were in constant conversations about what's the scope in the market, what's interesting, uh, you know, what can we do? And, uh, you know, it, it was around this time that Ashwajit started complaining to me while I was in Bombay about uh, the shitty coffee in his office. And uh, it resonated with me a lot. And I'm like, man, I agree with you. Like, you know, uh, we, don't, we don't have great coffee in the office at all. And uh, every time I want a good cup, uh, you know, I have to step out and walk to the nearest cafe coffee day or Starbucks to, you know, spend 200 rupees on a cup of coffee. Um, and uh, that's when, you know, he, he started talking to Ajay about it a little bit. And, 
you know, Ajay gave a clear cut, like, man, in, in America, like, you know, coffee is the thing, it's the shit, like, it's blown up, like, you know, not just like Starbucks, but third wave coffee companies doing some very, very interesting and new things with coffee. And it's, it's something that, you know, he said is, it's very trendy, and it's a trend that's growing. And upon a little bit more of basic research, we were convinced that there's an opportunity in coffee. We weren't sure whether it's cold brew, we weren't sure whether it's having cafes, we weren't sure whether it's just selling ground coffee or having a roastery. Like none of that was clear. We just knew that like in the coffee space in the country, uh, it's nascent, it's going to grow and there's an opportunity for us here. That's when we got to the drawing board and started figuring things out. Cool. And you know, it's kind of interesting how there's a lot of companies that thought of this same thing around the same time as you guys did. You know, coffee is starting to becoming a big thing in India. And you see all these little coffee shops, these niche coffee that you can buy online. It's, you know, it's a very cool trend to have. But, and, and like you said, when I was in the US, I saw it all the time. People are paying five, six dollars, these huge amounts for just a cup of coffee. That's three, 400 rupees. And, um, you know, so that, there's definitely a market for it in India. Now, when you guys are starting, you're starting from scratch, right? None of you guys are in the coffee business. You're storyboarding it out you don't know where to procure from. You don't know if India has you know, good coffee beans, which turns out we do. Um, where do you start when you're starting from complete scratch? So I guess, uh, you know, as, as silly or cliche as it may sound, like Google has all the answers, man. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, that's where I completely like, you know, uh, and that's what Ashwadeed always says. He's like, before asking me any question about anything, just Google it once, see if you get an answer. If not, then we'll discuss it. Right. And uh, that's what we did, man. We actually just like Googled coffee in India, coffee growth in India, coffee grows in India. And uh, it gave us enough reading material. And I guess as lawyers, we were used to consuming and sifting through large amounts of information that would uh, you know, be with us during our studies. So uh, we would just sit and we'd spend a lot of time on the Internet learning and understanding about the coffee landscape in the country. And uh, we also started researching, uh, you know, comp potential competitors, who's in the business, who's doing what, because we knew that we don't want to be a me too company, right? Uh, uh, if somebody's already doing something, I don't want to just blatantly go and be a competitor to them or play in the same field that they're already playing in. So we knew that that research will help us find our USP. You know, what, what, what is going to be our unique selling proposition? What is going to be valuable to the people we sell to? Uh, and how do we differentiate ourselves from what already exists in the market? You know, so all of this research took us to this new trendy phenomenon called cold brew coffee. And uh, we, we figured out that, you know, uh, mind you, I, we'd never even had cold brew coffee till then, right? Now, this is a little secret. We'd never had cold brew coffee ourselves. But just looking at uh, it online and seeing that there were a few people in you know, London, in America, in Australia that had started making and selling cold brew coffee. We knew that it's going to be tasty, it's going to be exciting, and uh, we're going to figure out how we can do it, right? Um, so that's when we actually went to Starbucks. We picked up some ground coffee, um, and we, we started cold brewing it, right? And uh, cold brew, if I can clarify, is very, it's, it's taking ground coffee, brewing it in cold water overnight, uh, and then filtering it, right? And that gives you a decoction that's less acidic, less bitter, and the process of brewing is that you brew it in cold water. Right? That's what makes it stand out, stands, it helps it stand out, and it gives it a very distinct flavor profile. So once we did that, you know, we realized, oh man, this is really tasty. And like, this was a basic formula that we applied 
you know, without uh, much effort. And we said, okay, this is tasty. It can obviously be tastier. Um, and uh, we started working on like production right in the kitchen uh, that we were in, right? Um, then we asked ourselves, okay, like, you know, if we have to have a business, we have to be buying coffee from somewhere. We have to be sourcing coffee from suppliers, from farmers, and, uh, you know, uh, making a product out of that to sell to a consumer, right? Um, that's when we started contacting farmers just from Google, man, like Coffee Farmers India, Coffee Growers India, all kinds of searches, found websites. We placed an order for a couple of kgs of coffee from a supplier who courted it us to in Bombay at that time. And uh, unfortunately, we ordered coffee beans. They weren't ground, right? They were coffee beans at that time. So we could not, we didn't have a grinder to experiment with those. So we actually went to Starbucks and said, hey, can you grind this for us? Because we want to, uh, you know, uh, we just want some ground coffee. And they said, no, we only grind Starbucks coffee. We don't grind any other coffee that you bring to us. And uh, you know, as always, we, we don't take no for an answer. Uh, so we went back to the house. We uh, printed a Starbucks logo, uh, went to a printer and got a sticker printed, which we stuck to that bag. And we went back to the Starbucks and said, guys, like this is Starbucks coffee. Can you grind it for us? And uh, they were kind enough to grind it for us. And we took that ground coffee from our supplier. And then we started experimenting with different ratios of uh, coffee to water, different kinds of filtration, you know, whether it's a paper filter, whether it was a cloth bag, a laundry bag, all kinds of different material to see how we can filter the coffee. You know, so it's very, very, uh, very, very basic things that we started doing. And that's when like we started enjoying drinking cold brew more and more. Uh, we realized at that point that man, we need to go to go to where the coffee comes from. We need to visit uh, our farmers and we need to learn from them everything we can about coffee. And that's when we took a one-way ticket to Chikmangalur, which is the land of coffee in, uh, in India. That's where, you know, almost all of India's coffee is grown. And, um, you know, we, we traveled there. Young kids, man, like, you know, just uh, started going up to coffee farmers and we were like, okay, we do want to buy from you, but we also want you to educate us. You know, tell us everything there is to know about coffee growing processes, uh, how you guys manage the supply chain, how does coffee trading work? You know, if I were to buy, you know, a thousand kgs from you, how much would that cost? If I were to buy, you know, uh, it, these many times in the year, how would that work? So just put together like a basic idea of how the supply chain of our raw material would work. Uh, you know, at the end of all those conversations, we told the guy we need five kgs of coffee. And these people, man, they export a couple of thousand kgs every few days, you know. So for us, like for them, five kgs was peanuts, you know. But, uh, you know, one of the suppliers was kind enough to be like, okay, I, I see what you kids are trying to do here. And I'm happy to give you five kgs. Uh, it was slightly more expensive than it needed to be. But uh, it was a good start for us. And with those five kgs, we, you know, started doing thorough experiments, uh, you know, to see whether that particular batch of coffee from the supplier would work for our product or not and that's the that's how we kind of got into learning about it and get it get it going wow so that those two stories of going into starbucks is very startup-ish you know that that's you know something barely anyone will actually have the balls to get up and go do and two just going to a coffee farmer and being like you know give me give me some coffee when they are you know exporting large amounts. So that's, you know, again, that plays in t-shirts, that plays in any kind of manufacturing thing. A lot of manufacturers will only do bulk because that's where they make their money. So you have to find a way to convince them and almost do a sale to them. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's very cool cause. You know, that, that, that convincing comes from the notion that, you know, as young entrepreneurs, your focus has to be on building relationships. 
mm. right? Uh, your focus has to be on, uh, you know, where, where you where, like, you know, we, we were honest. We were honest with our suppliers and the people we met that man, like, you know, we don't know where learning can you teach us? You know, when you give someone that respect and regard and you tell them that you know more than I do, you know, so can you educate me? It, it gives them the sense of pride also, right? Like, okay, there's someone who wants to really learn about what we do, you know? So it makes a big difference. And then uh, it's about like, you know, valuing those relationships uh, with them. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's so true. Because you, again, you have to find that differentiator and that's going to play on so many people's minds. Uh, so that's, you know, thanks for bringing that up. But now you have, you know, you have this coffee, you've learned a little bit how you grind, how you do that, you've, you've Googled everything. Um, now you're starting this business and, uh, you know, you, you have no followers on Instagram, you don't have a website, you don't have anything, you don't know how to, you know, you're, you're getting going. Uh, we didn't even have a product. We didn't even have a product. We just had coffee. So you didn't even know what you're going to sell. Okay. That's, that makes it, you know, even more interesting. Uh, where do you guys go from there? What were the first few steps? You have the coffee. Where do you go from there? So, so we decided at that point that what we want to sell is cold brew coffee because nobody else in India was actually selling cold brew coffee direct to a consumer. Right. So we identified that I'm not going to buy coffee and I'm sell coffee. I'm going to make a value add product from the coffee. Right. Um, you know, it's like saying that, you know, I don't want to sell mangoes. I want to make mango juice and I want to sell the juice. Right. So we said the same thing. We're not going to sell anybody coffee. Right. And that, there's a reason for that. Like, you know, we realized there's a pain point in young Indian consumers is that if I give, a, you know, an average person coffee beans, right. Uh, or ground coffee, one would have to know how to use a French press or an AeroPress or have a machine at home, right. To be able to brew that cup of coffee. So we decided at that point that our mission right, uh, uh, is going to be making coffee very convenient for the end consumer, right? That goes back to talking about the value add. Like, what is the value add that I am going to have as a company, as a startup, right? And our value add was, we want to make coffee easy. We want to make it convenient, right? How do we do that? We don't sell coffee. We sell a ready-made end product, right? Um, and that's when we got to converting that coffee into cold brew as a beverage, right? And we wanted to sell that beverage, now, at that point, we weren't uh, sure whether we'd sell it in a glass bottle, whether we'd sell it in uh, the bag and box packaging that we finally decided, uh, whether we'd sell it in plastic bottles. Uh, you know, we had no clarity on how we'd package our cold brew, right? So the first step was like coming up with the formula for cold brew. Second is package it in a convenient packaging format. And the third step is now who do I sell it to? You know, uh, that's where the Instagram question comes in, right? So I'll give you a quick uh, story on all three, right? The first step is how do I take coffee and make a really tasty cold brew beverage out of it, right? Uh, of course, we did a lot of experimentation at our end, right? But we kept encountering, uh, you know, uh, situations where we were like, man, this is not tasty enough. It could be tastier, right? So that's when we actually started emailing the cold brew companies that I was talking to you about in the US, in London, in Australia, right? Um, a lot of cold emails to a lot of other founders. And in more cases than not, nobody replied back to us, right? But there were a couple of people, right, who, who got these cold emails from little kids in India and they responded to us with, if I can say it, trade secrets, right? Everything, answered all our questions. What kind of equipment to use? What kind of filtration material to use? What kind of grind size of the coffee? What temperature of water? What kind of water, right? Uh, they guided us through all of these questions Right. And allowed us to experiment better. 
and as we improved that experimentation, we finally hit like what we would call like this perfect formula uh, with respect to the kind of coffee that we're sourcing. And, uh, you know, honestly, no market research, nothing. We tasted it and we knew this is fucking tasty, right? Um, and we were like, this is what we're going to sell, you know? And formula hasn't changed since. It's been four years. Wow. So, the, you know, again, that, again, very like, you know, nimble, very, you know, out of the box thinking. And that, that's, again, a very cool story. I, I want to um, talk about, okay, now you, you have this secret, you have these trade secrets, nobody else does in India, nobody else is doing it. And you're starting out an apartment, again, very like Steve Jobs, Apple, you know, all these Jeff Bezos kind of, you know, starting out from scratch. So you, you're there and you're trying to build a customer base now. How do you go and this is transitioning into, I feel, again, your, your guys' biggest differentiator. You're building a customer, your marketing and your, your consumer base. Um, so how do you start figuring out who to sell to? Okay, so, uh, you know, what we, what we realized at that point in time was once we had our packaging in place and we had uh, this, this cool, innovative bag-in-box packing that we use, which is like a wine box in the U.S., right, uh, with the tap. So we knew that like nobody else is doing that and our packaging really stands out and it's something really cool. And that's when we kind of decided that, okay, all our emphasis should be on, uh, you know, the kind of photography that we do and the kind of, um, you know, images that we take of our product in action because the customer who's going to see it on social media, right? They need to be tempted, right? They need to look at that image of the coffee or the box and your product and be like, man, I want to try that, you know, because if, if like, you know, you can get them to say that when they are on their phones looking at the product and they're like, I really want to try that. You've got their attention for that split second that might cause them to click go, you know, and buy the product, right? This is a situation where Arman understand that the customer hasn't yet tried your product. They've only seen it on social media or your website, right? So we worked hard to build a slick website, a really cool photo photography. Um, you know, had a, had an Instagram handle with some very nice photos of our, uh, you know, of our product, mind you, again, none of this was outsourced to any agency at that point in time, or even now, and uh, it was all built in-house in the apartment, right? We even learned, uh, you know, how do you, how do you make a, like a photo studio in your apartment using stuff that you have to click studio level photos, right? Um, and we had friends and family, like we had friends from law school who were good photographers who came in and they chipped in all in exchange for free coffee, you know, and, and we built out this initial stuff. And, uh, you know, to, to get the word out there, uh, the first two weeks, all we did was request friends and family to repost on their social media, talk about us and place orders with us. Uh, and that in itself was the traction in the first two weeks to kind of get the word out there. You know, so you get your, your entire network and then their network and then their network to kind of start talking about it. And um, at that stage of a business, um, you know, uh, you have to have good friends, man. <laughs> I mean, you need to, you know, they, they need to be sharing it for you. You know, uh, they need to be spreading the word on your behalf. Um, and yes, uh, you know, our first uh, hundred or so customers were all known to us. There were, there were people who, who knew who we were, what we were up to. Uh, old friends, old family members, just your network, right? And once they get it, right, and then they start talking about it, uh, it, it starts spreading, be it word of mouth or if they post it on their social media, etc. So that was the initial strategy. But we know that that's limited, right? That doesn't uh, come with a lifelong commitment of people still going to buy. 
So we had to find other avenues. And that's when we started going to, I'd say, you know, local discovery platforms, right? So be it Little Black Book India, be it So Delhi, be it What's Up Delhi, What's Hot Gurgaon, you know, all of these um, blogs that cover, uh, you know, uh, new age companies, what's happening in the city, uh, kind of giving their readers, you know, the latest of what's up. And uh, we partnered with them. Uh, of course, all of these companies have both free as well as paid versions, right? So as young entrepreneurs who just started out with limited capital, we always opted for the free option to start with. You know, we'll come to your office and we'll get everybody free coffee. Can you write about us? You know, uh, can you talk about us? Can you let your audience know that we exist, right? And that gave us the necessary like push. Um, you know, and then being in the food and beverage space, we started doing events like the Grub Fest, uh, food festivals, etc., where we'd put up stalls and get people to sample the product, right? So for the first six or eight months, we actually did no digital marketing, no Google AdWords, and it's a mistake. I wish we had, you know, from the get-go, like you started doing some of the necessary uh, paid marketing activities, but we didn't know better, right? So we, we thought, okay, like we won't spend any money and we'll see how far we can go. But that's not how business works. You can't like not spend and expect any return, right? But we did that. Uh, and six, eight months in, there was no more growth, right? Uh, you hit a wall and you're not growing anymore because you're not really acquiring too many new customers, right? Um, so that's when we decided that, okay, we're going to up our game on our social media as well as invest in digital marketing activities, right? So create, create good quality advertisements, both photo and video. Uh, and use that uh, to target your consumers uh, using Facebook, Google, Instagram, um, and then see how that game works. And that's when we started acquiring new customers. So um, I'm really interested in your starting to do paid advertising. Um, when do you see and do you notice a few strategies once you're doing paid advertising that, you know, help that hockey stick go up and help you know, you guys scale really quickly because, you know, you know, you've only been open for about four years. Is that right? So, uh, you know, and you guys have, I, I've heard in another interview, you guys have a great customer retention rate. So how do you guys build that hockey stick shaped graph to scale? And then how did you, once you got them in, how did you keep them as customers? Okay. So, uh, so the idea is that when you, when you start your digital marketing initiatives, right, you are going to start acquiring a lot more customers, especially initially, because, uh, you know, uh, I think the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram, they work in a way to help, uh, you know, help you get a return on your advertising spend. Right. So, so for every dollar we spent, we were getting a lot of customers coming in and buying our product and enjoying it for the first time. Right. Um, so these customers traditionally have not heard of you from a friend or family. They haven't, um, you know, read about you on a blog. They've seen an advertisement and they've clicked on that advertisement and that is their first interaction with you, right? So they're going to judge for themselves on the basis of their overall experience, right? So new customers that come to you, you have to work hard to ensure that they have a stellar customer experience, you know, right from ordering to the delivery reaching their house to them enjoying the product. And if they have any questions, right, and they get in touch with our customer support or us on any platform, right, we have to be prompt in responding to them, helping clarify their doubts and let them know that their entire experience from seeing that ad to finishing the product has been seamless, right? Um, if that experience is seamless for a newly acquired customer, chances are they will order again, right? Unless something goes abysmally wrong or they just like, you know, 
decide that they can't afford it or they don't want to have it so often, more often than not, right? If they enjoy the experience and the product, they will come back and place a second order, right? And then a third, right? And once you see a customer going from one to two to three, right? And you have to monitor all of this extremely carefully, right? You have to incentivize that customer to become a long-time customer, right? So be it through a subscription plan, be it through a discount model where you go like, okay, I see you, you buying like, you know, thrice a month, right? If you keep this up, I'll give you a better deal, right? Uh, so it's more like a volume discount. It's like, okay, like you're enjoying it, buy more, right? And keep drinking and you'll get a better deal, right? Because you, as businesses, you can afford that. It's inbuilt into your margins to be able to give customers a better deal, right? Um, and, uh, but obviously it's based on their loyalty as well, right? Uh, you know, they, they're loyal to you. They're drinking your product every day. Um, and the same goes for like, you know, the, the, the rest of the, you know, customers that you have, like it's a, it's a very, very crucial game to uh, respect your customers, uh, provide them service all times, day or night. Like, you know, I still remember initially, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we've delivered product to our customers' houses ourselves, you know? Uh, so if, if there's like, you know, a courier company glitch or some unavailability, we take the car out and we go house to house with the order list and we deliver the orders to the customers that we didn't want to delay your order under any circumstances, right? Um, so that gives us the, incent the incentive as founders to also meet a customer upfront, right? Imagine I ring your bell and like you open the door and I'm delivering your coffee. What kind of an impression that would have for you with respect to the brand, right? Um, so we, you know, we, we, we've hustled it out and like, you know, through and through made sure that, uh, nothing is more important than customer experience. Right. Uh, I'd say more often than not, uh, you know, we do, uh, we do, uh, you know, no questions asked return and replacement. Right. So if you do feel that your batch is not up to the mark, uh, as compared to the previous batch that you bought or any other complaint, no questions asked, we'll replace your product for you. Uh, you know, and uh, it's activities like this that have actually helped us uh, maintain that customer retention rate or, uh, you know, loyalty, if I may say. And I guess to add to all of this, uh, you know, coffee is an addiction, buddy. So if someone's hooked to what you got to selling them, right, like they are going to come back, uh, you know. Uh, so so, so that, that's worked in our favor, right? Um, because things like coffee and cigarettes, uh, they're very brand oriented, like, you know. Uh, I mean, if I were to ask you to, to drink uh, Nescafe instead of Sleepy Owl, you, you don't want to, you won't. You'd rather not have coffee, you know, uh, than have something that you don't want to have. So, so I guess uh, because of the addictive nature of these products, they command a certain amount of loyalty as well. Okay. But so you, you what I've got from what you guys are saying uh, and what you're saying is that you guys really focused on quality in every aspect customer experience, whether it be Instagram, it, everywhere had to be quality and solely focused on the customer. So that's a great takeaway to get. But now I want to go into, you're creating this messaging uh, that you want someone to click on that Facebook post and you want someone to click on that Instagram ad. How do you create that messaging to be like, wow, I actually want to click on that. Is it the photos? Is it something you're saying? Are you addressing their problem right off the bat? It's, it's both, right? Uh, because everything is taking a more visual uh, turn, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of marketing, right? So, so you have to craft uh, your, your, uh, your photos and your videos in the advertisements uh, in a way that it's tempting, especially for a food and beverage product, right? Mm -hmm. 
uh, I think the more tempting it is, the more it'll, uh, you know, create that desire in the customer's mind and body where like, okay, I want to try this. I want to eat this. I want to drink this because it looks so satisfying. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, messaging is a very, very crucial aspect because once they click on that, they hit your website, right. Uh, or your landing page. And that's when, you know, you're communicating to them, right. And you're actually talking to them and telling them about your products, features, its benefits, its attributes, right. Uh, and the pricing and convincing them that the pricing is also worth it. Right. So, uh, you know, when we talk about it on our website, it says, okay, it's 600 rupees for a box that is 1.5 liters, right? Mm -hmm. Each cup will therefore cost you 60 rupees, right? And we break it down for them and tell them, okay, like this is what you're actually paying for, right? Oh, and you can also make it in this way. Like you can add milk, uh, you can do this. We've always highlighted the fact that our products have no sugar, right? We highlighted the fact that cold brew is less acidic and less bitter. So anyone who has ever had a problem with acidity with respect to coffee or doesn't like it because of its bitterness, right? Those, that messaging is keyed in on the product page as well as in the advertisement, right? And, you know, last but not the least, like we highlight uh, coffee that's easy, easy as easy AF. Like, you know, it's the most convenient, most easy way to drink coffee that there is, right? When someone sees all of these things, right? And they identify even one or two of the things that hit them, right? Oh, okay. I have acidity and they claim to be, you know, low on acidity. Maybe I'll try it, you know, or it's super easy. And then you remember, okay, I've had a hard time making coffee at home, but with their product, I don't need to do much. It's super easy, right? So these are the promises that you're making, right? Be sure if you claim anything false in your advertising and a customer buys it and does not experience that, right? They're not coming back again. There's no second time for that customer, right? And it's expensive to acquire a customer, right? You spend money to acquire the customer. And if they don't buy more than once, right? You're going to ultimately lose out, right? Uh, You can only make money if those customers are coming back over and over again. So you have to keep the promises that you make, right? Once you do that, once a customer gets the product to the house and then they experience what they, what you, the brand was talking about and they feel it for themselves. Right. And if it matches, right. And the customer enjoys that chances are, they will come back. They will give you another chance. And you know, the more interesting thing is if a brand truly lives up to its promises is it's not that that customer will alone come back themselves. They will also tell five more people, if not more, that they had a good experience with the brand and they liked the product, right? And that is free marketing. That, that is free for you, right? Um, that's why it becomes a game of reference. And you know, again, for us, coffee is not just addictive. It's also something that people drink every day and therefore it's more talked about. You might not tell five friends what body wash you're using at home necessarily, but you will tell them what coffee you're drinking, right? So I guess the nature of the business that we're in is one where word of mouth plays uh, a key role and that's really helped us. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, that's a cool point because word of mouth, I think is the strongest probably value add because if we're really good friends and I tell you, Hey man, I really like this coffee. Chances are they're going to trust me as opposed to some Facebook ad that says this coffee is really good. Right. So uh, that, that's, that's a really cool point you bring up. And I want to summarize a little bit of what you've said in the marketing sure. initiatives, add in whatever you feel. Um, but you guys started off hustling. You know, you went to these local, uh, you know, marketing channels like blogs and you said, hey, try my coffee. And if you like it, 
you know, write about us. And again, that brings more word of mouth. And you, the next thing you guys did was make sure that quality across the spectrum, you know, your Instagram, your customer experience, quality of coffee, all very high to get people coming back. And three, word of mouth and making it very simple for the customer to understand the problem that you're addressing is huge. So, you know, I, I'm going to start applying these, you know, to my marketing efforts. And I think that's, you know, thank you very much for these points. It's great. Um, I want to dive into now we're in, you know, a very strange time in the world, right? Like nobody's experienced this, especially in the modern world, modern business. We're facing COVID right now. And a lot of businesses are getting impacted. A lot of employees are worried about, you know, do I have a job in a year? How is my company going to do? Um, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, you may not have all the answers. You're just starting out in this. We're all starting out. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you guys are taking these challenges head on and how do you create um, certainty for both your customers and employees at this time? So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's an un unfortunate time for businesses all over. Uh, again, uh, you know, I think I'm extremely grateful in a way that like we fall into a category of products that are effectively deemed essential, right? Um, it, it, it pains my heart that there are so many businesses that are making fantastic products and, uh, and things, but they're unable to function right now. Uh, and, and obviously this leads to a lot of pain and suffering, but um, by, by God's grace, we're in a category that, uh, you know, is essential. And that benefits us. So, uh, you know, it'll, I'll take it back all the way. So we had some migrant labor that has left the city uh, in a rush uh, when, when, labor hap when um, COVID happened, uh, when the lockdown happened. But aside of that, uh, you know, we worked very hard in the first uh, two days of the announcement of the lockdown to, to get passes for our team to function, right? Um, of course, I'm going to... Uh, possibly skip the aspect that, yeah, we are taking every single precaution, be it at the manufacturing end, be it at the employee end, whether it's temperature checks, whether it's hand sanitization, whether it's wearing masks, maintaining social distancing, all of those steps, needless to say, you know, I believe most honest uh, brands are doing, right? So having done that, you know, the next step was, okay, how do we get permission to function? And this kind of reminded me of my hustling days, you know, uh, early on and I think hustle is always on constant you know it doesn't stop whether you're four years old eight years old 40 years old as a company you have to think like you know a newborn um, so I think on the on the second day of the lockdown you know uh, one of my staff members and I started you know wrapping our heads around okay how do we get passes for our team and we started calling friends friends of friends people who know people and we're like okay we need a contact you know and I'll be honest over here like it wasn't straightforward I didn't like you know the government said till this form and wait right? And you'll get a pass. Like we said, no, hell no. Like, you know, there has to be a better way and a smarter way to do this. So we made enough phone calls and we landed up at the police station uh, in our area. And we spent cumulatively, I think, 16 hours over two and a half days uh, standing outside the police station, uh, speaking to the right people, making our way in. And uh, we got a total of 12 passes for our team. Uh, whereas most people, most companies are, you know, finding it tough to get even two or three. You know, so, so it goes back to Jugar, man. Like, you know, you've got to do what you got to do. You got to, you know, and we didn't, we didn't pay no bribes. We didn't uh, do anything. It was just that, you know, uh, I guess uh, we just, we presented our scenario and our case in a way that the concerned officer was empathetic towards us. Right. And uh, since we had the passes, we've been functioning every single day. 
um, and we are getting our product out to our customers around the country. Uh, and uh, we're doing our level best, uh, you know, to ensure that the supply chain at our end is not disrupted, right? Uh, we did have some delay in some of our coffee coming from Chikmangalur to us. Uh, you know, we are uh, grappling and figuring out how to manage our uh, inventory of packaging material because some of the other factories are still not open, right? So COVID is something that, you know, does not impact one business uh, alone. You know, like we depend on suppliers, we depend on uh, vendors, right, for our business. So until they are able to function, uh, there'll be a point where like, you know, uh, we will be adversely affected. But in our discussions with our, you know, investors and with our team, the message is clear. Like, you know, don't take no for an answer, figure out alternatives, be prepared for plan B, plan C, plan D, you know, and since you are allowed, make the most of the situation. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd also take this opportunity to you know, thank our customers because they're all the more loyal, all the more fiercely backing us and enjoying our products. And that counts for everything. And I, I think that's, again, where your marketing comes in, right? Like you've built this fierce customer base. And again, going through your Instagram, it's so cool. You guys have so much engagement. People really resonate with your brand. And thank you for addressing, you know, COVID the way you did. It's, you know, it's a tough time, but hopefully, you know, we come out of this much stronger. You know, all of our businesses, all of our people, you know, hopefully we all come out stronger. And let's look at a more uh, positive thing to end on. Um, so Arman, what is your what is your personal ambition? You know, what is like the mission that you want to leave on the world? It could be with Sleepy Owl Coffee. It could be with anything. You know, what do you want to personally leave on this planet? Okay, I think you know I was going through the the framework that you shared and the question, and when I came to this question, I started thinking deeply about it. And you know, I guess I have. Uh, I think it's too early to 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 say whether I you know. Uh, have definitively found what I want to leave this planet with. Uh, I know, I know, I'm on a journey towards doing, uh, you know, some interesting work, uh, some interesting, uh, you know, avenues uh, that that we have developed. As of now, I think my my main goal is to get more and more people in India to to genuinely fall in love with coffee, right? To fall in love with Indian coffee, and uh, to be able to, you know, uh, uh, you know buy local, buy from uh, young companies and startups around you. So it's not just like, you know, I, I make it a point as far as possible to buy local. Uh, and I feel like the only way like we can expect more young businesses to grow uh, and, and to support them uh, is, is by, you know, intentionally making it a point to, uh, to you know, to, to go out of our way to purchase these products, right? Um, so I think that, uh, you know, moving forward and in whatever capacity I can is to support young, young entrepreneurs. Like I personally enjoy, really, really enjoy doing this, you know, uh, because I just feel like if there's anything that I've learned, like the only value, uh, you know, uh, in that learning is if I can share it. Right. Uh, so I never shy away from getting on chats with people like yourself and be like, okay, like, you know, this is all that I know. And like, I'm happy for people to get in touch, uh, to continually like, advise them on mistakes I've made and what I've learned. You know, I don't claim to know it all. Nobody does. Um, but it's always nice to hear, uh, you know, other people. And therefore, I like to share what I've learned. So I don't think that answers your question per se. But yeah, man, broadly, I'm just having a good time. Uh, but yeah, 10 years from now, I want to see uh, Sleepy Owl right up there, you know, making a big, big, big impact in the FMCG space. Nice. No, you know, I, I think a lot of people will have a similar thing. We don't know where we're going, but 
I, I like what you're saying on making an impact. And I think a lot of our generation of, you know, people in India are wanting to give back, especially in India. And I think, you know, going forward to the future for this country, it's very positive. You know, I've had the chance to interview people who are doing you know, great things in environmental space, you know, pharmaceutical space. So it's, it's very cool to see that for India. Um, so I just want to end up on one last question. I'm going to start asking this to a lot of my guests on the podcast is that, and I, and I know you know the question because I've seen it. Um, so if you had an autobiography, you know, and again, this is kind of a tough question given what you just said, but if you did have an autobiography, uh, what would you want the title to be? This is at the end of your career and you've achieved a lot of what you want to achieve. What would you want it to say? Okay, so, um, you know, I think again, like I, 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 I thought about the question, I didn't, come out, I didn't have an answer earlier, but now during the discussion, I think I've come up with one. Maybe, maybe I, I think a good name for the book would be Own It, you know, uh, and the idea behind the words Own It is like, you need to, you know, own your responsibilities, own your mistakes, own your own destiny, own your own fate, right? Uh, you can't depend on, uh, you know, uh, on externalities throughout, right? Uh, you need to actually go out of your way yourself to own it and be it examples of like, you know, the coffee farmer or us going to Starbucks or the police station the other day, right? Like uh, when you have that sense of ownership uh, for your work and this doesn't apply just to, uh, you know, uh, founders of businesses. I think even within organizations, uh, you know, if, you, if you're able to own your sphere of work, uh, you will be more valued and respected and uh, you will be noticed and recognized. So. I think maybe that would be a decent name for the book. Awesome. I'm glad I helped you come to a name throughout the podcast. Um, but, I, you know, I think that's a cool place to end up. I want to say thank you, Armand, so much for coming on. You know, I learned so much. I'm sure a lot of people learned a lot you know, from starting something from scratch to moving into a business you know nothing about, growing a brand that people you know, really resonate with and you know facing a crisis how do you maneuver and own it like you say to move forward so yeah thank you so much for coming on pleasure Armand. thank you so much for having me anytime anyways thank you everybody for tuning into the podcast please make sure to subscribe i'm going to leave uh our sleepy owl coffee's social media channels in the links below because again i think that's a cool thing to study it's a really good way to learn about how to effectively market online so yeah Thanks everybody for listening. See you in the next podcast.